hold. Don't be funny. Do not be funny. But I gotta let it out. What's Nancy Travis doing these days, you know? No one knows. She was on Last Man Standing. And it was she was she was in Becker with Ted Dinson. How about that. Okay. What happened to Nancy Travis? That's the first question in Google questions. I'm going to start the the overture, and then you come out in your suit and your fedora. Overture? Okay. I don't know what else they do, aside from like jutting their arms forward and maybe jutting their arms behind them and then jutting their arms forward. You can't see my legs, but they're doing sort of like a running thing. Yeah. Okay. I have a question, which I don't think I've ever had answered. I've I've seen the Blues Brothers. By the way, this, welcome to your childhood as an idiot. We're, this is the podcast <laughs> where you visit things from childhood and see if they're any good. My name is DJ. This is Damon. We're talking about the Blues Brothers. Go on. I wanted to have that conversational element, like in Mark Marin, where suddenly the interview is just like halfway through with the movie that lives. turns in, like everyone's already halfway through a, a conversation. Blues Brothers. I've seen the movie. I know it started on SNL. What is the joke? Mm. Of it? Because they I know they didn't do like the stuff they're doing in this movie. They would just sing on I SNL, think they just right? did they like covers because the the first time in SNL they were just wearing B costumes. And I think it was funny because they were just in a silly costume. Because they were on cocaine. <laughs> uh-huh. Pluto was, was interesting to me because it was a thing that was like a cool poster that people that I admired had. Before I knew what it actually was. People you admired, like the Dalai Lama, yeah. Pope John Paul II. Martin Luther King. Those people had, had the... Yeah, Martin Luther King had this poster <laughs> for a movie that came out the decade after he died. It was pretty His cool. last words were, it's 106 <laughs> miles to Chicago. God. <laughs> ah, truly a great eulogy for a great man. <laughs> Having him quote the Blues Brothers at you, I guess? Was he saying it to you? It's one of those interesting things because it was kind of intimidating because it's like they looked cool on the poster. You know, they're wearing the sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, I didn't even know like what it was. Like I knew who Dan Aykroyd was by this point. John Belushi, I knew like generally who he was, but I didn't wasn't familiar with anything. But it was right. more just like, oh, this is a movie that cool people like. And then you see it. And I actually love this movie. So I'm excited to see whether it holds up to me or not. But when was the last time you've seen this movie? It's been probably 10, 15 years. But I also, it's like a really silly movie (laughs) that I wasn't expecting by how much reverence it gets. Right. I also love the music. That's a big part of it for me. I want to say three things. First off, Aykroyd always has at least one more letter than you think it does. Whenever you try and spell it out. Yeah, there's more Y's than you think. That's a pretty and pretty bonkers last name. That's spelling wise. It is deranged. Good for you. But I mean, as a Scrabble word, it's fantastic. Yeah, how does that feel knowing that you walk into a room and no one can spell your last name? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's really great. It's always something you can hold over someone. And I do. 50% of my personality is having a long last name. <laughs> and the rest is just like drawing ducks and stuff. Second thing is my speech teacher 
Coach Speaking. McKenna, presumably RIP. What happened? <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, I'm doing sort of the mental math. Oh, yeah. I graduated in the year 2000. He was probably already in his 60s. He didn't look like a health nut. I'll say that. Yeah. And when you think about the older teachers you had, and then you think about how old you are, it gets pretty grim. No, it gets grim real quick. (laughs) So, but I remember this was his favorite movie. Okay. And he had posters, including probably some of the posters that Martin Luther King had up on his wall. <laughs> I think even one with them, Clockwork they're Orange. just sort of like leaning on something, and it has the 106 miles to Chicago where, sun, where it's nighttime, we're wearing sunglasses, blah, blah, blah. And I remember if you wanted to really sort of derail the entire class, like get them talking about Blues Brothers. Now, what's important to this is that I graduated in 2000. Blues Brothers 2000, I think, came out in 1999, confusingly enough. I had his class when Blues Brothers 2000 came out. So we were so excited opening after the, the Monday after opening weekend to, to hear, hear what yeah. Coach McKenna thought of Blues Brothers 2000. He didn't care for it. Oh, really? I'll tell you what. And he spent the entire class talking to us about why he didn't like it. And you're like, yes, I don't have to give that speech. <laughs> Just kidding. I love giving speeches. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) On this podcast. Third thing is my friend, David Jensen, found out that I had not seen Blues Brothers and insisted upon me seeing it. So he made me watch it. So I watched it under duress. Mm. Did that make you, that like affect how you felt about it? Oh yeah. I felt like the word's not coming to me. Sandwich press. Panini. Glass, microscope glass, you know, uh, Petri dish. Okay. I felt like I was in a Petri dish. I do this to people when I watch things, when I make them watch things I love, where I'm just like- See, MTV's next. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I could feel that being done to me. Now, you're probably wondering, did that teach me a little something about forcing media on people that didn't necessarily want to watch it and were just being nice? No. I've done it for the rest of my life. (laughs) I've never learned a lesson about anything <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. So it was a little bit before our time because it came out before we were born, technically. Correct. 1980. And I think Belushi is dead before we are born. Yeah, I think so. And so like it was one of those kind of missed the boat, but I actually found found it at the correct time for me because by the time I saw it, I was like into music. And so by that point, I was like, I could get over the, because I think it's a, fairly funny movie but it's really more about the music for me like it's got ray charles in it it's got like his band has got steve cropper and donald duck dunn and like all like his band is donald duck is in it donald dunn who goes by donald duck dunn do you get it yeah i get it now now i see the guy with the pipe a little white afro bass player but they're (laughs) the band is these tremendous legendary musicians and then of course all the guest stars are Famous and so it, it's pretty fun. And then James Brown is in this. Aretha is Aretha's in, this. in it. Aretha, the version of Think that's from this movie is, in my opinion, the best version of Think. They wanted her to do respect, and she was like, "We're going to do this other song." I think it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, fuck yeah, it's really fun." Now, I, what I'm worried about is whether any of the, like, how much of the humor I do quote some parts of this movie, but there's a lot of it that I've kind of forgotten about. The main thing our friend Taylor quotes sometimes is the John Candy when he he like plays the cop. And he's like, orange whip, orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's a pretty funny. I don't know one. what that means. I mean, I, I remember John Candy playing a cop 
But I feel like John Candy's played a cop in a lot of things. He's always pulling people over. He doesn't like, like do that much in this movie. They're just like always. So the bit is they're kind of ne'er-do-well blues musicians. Mm-hmm. They're brothers. Jake is in prison when we start the movie. They call him Juliet Jake. Juliet Prison. And they're trying to get the band back together for reasons. And then they're trying they're on a mission to, from God. They're trying to raise money to like save the nunnery they were raised in or whatever. And orphanage. Orphanage. Is what the word you're looking <laughs> That's for. That's the word I was looking for. They've got this divine mission, and then the cops are after him the whole time. There's I do remember the absurd And Nazis. And Nazis. And then the, I love a Nazi dying. Gotta be honest with you. I remember the absurd car crash scene. There's like police cars just flying everywhere, which is kind of funny. Because you asked what the joke, what I'm trying to answer is your original question. What is the joke? And it's not what is the joke of the Blues Brothers movie. I have trouble connecting the Blues Brothers as characters on SNL to all of a sudden them getting this movie. They seem like very sort of vague, a very vague idea of what a character might be. But also every clip I see of them on SNL is them just performing, not talking or doing anything. Yeah. So it almost just seems like these two guys just wanted to perform some blues and rock songs, and that's what they did. I think that's exactly what it is. And then they were like, <laughs> Lauren Michaels was like, hey, you want to make a movie? I, I guess it was, was it still Lauren at this time? Because there was a time when he- I think it would have been still Lauren. I think Lauren leaves in the early 80s and then comes back in the late 80s again. And then they were like- Things I know for reasons. They're like, we're all doing coke. Do you guys want to do a movie? And they're like, yes. Let's do some more coke at the movie. Yeah. And then I'm like, great. <laughs> Carrie Fisher plays the jilted, Jake's jilted lover. And then mm-hmm. at some point, she keeps trying to kill them throughout the movie. Sure. And Henry Gibson, I believe, plays one of He's the Nazis, Nazi. which yeah. I always love. Mm-hmm. Which I always love. I always love. He also kind of plays a Nazi in the Burbs. It's returning true. character. I feel like this is maybe, seems like a movie my dad would be really into, but maybe it's a little late for my dad. A little early for me. <laughs> I mean, I remember, I mean, dudes, no slander, but dudes were into this movie. I like it fine. I just don't think I ever connected to it like the way that dudes do. Yeah. Well, maybe now is the time. Maybe I will become a dude upon this watching of Blues Brothers. Brothers, comma, blues, the. I think at this point it's inevitable. I will say also there is a an album that they released that's like a live a live show, a live concert performance, and I wore that CD that I had of that out uh-huh. in the I would say mid to late nineties when I had that. So that's it. Well, oh, there, wait, very oh, important okay. update to this whole thing. For it was either like a senior talent show or something like that. My friends and I, we dressed up as the Blues Brothers and did Soul Man. Mm-hmm. We did it with a live band. We came in. We were friends enough with the guy who did tech at the theater. I don't think he taught at the school. He was just like the adult that like ran the theater. <laughs> mm-hmm. He got a hold like of like- Magical Man and yeah. uh, Last Action Hero. Go ahead. He got a police siren and did like some lights and we like came in from the back of the theater. That's charming. That's pretty funny. For us. You know, a bunch of fucking 17 year olds or whatever. John Belushi, by the way, died almost three months after we were born. Oh, wow. Or actually, yeah, yeah March 82. Ooh, wow. Sorry. Sorry, Betty. So anyway, we're going to watch the Blues Brothers. <laughs> and just laugh and laugh. Watch along with us. Back in a second. 
listen, I just want to do a normal commercial, even though we don't have to do it in the theme of Blues Brothers or anything. And oh my God, here we go. Special musical guest that no. we're not shoehorning in at all. Generally, currently unproblematic. Harry Styles is here to tell you about our Patreon page. Wrong Harry, again, take queer baiter. Ah, shit. Try again. Generally unproblematic. At Lizzo. Oops. Oh, she came around back and got you. Let's not let's not compare queer baiting with. No, queer baiting is alleged. a low rung on the problematic. It's more just annoying. It's you know like having a cockleburr on your sock in terms of problematicness. What current, preferably blues-based artist would you like to... <laughs> Kenny Wayne Shepherd is here to tell you about our Patreon page. Kenny, take it away. H- hey, guys. I know who You're he is. Uh, he cut his hair off at some point. KWS. like a spare Hanson Brothers we had bouncing around. <laughs> yeah, it's me, KWS. And this is what my voice has always sounded like. I love playing blues. I love playing bass for blues. He probably plays bass. He's a guitarist. Yeah. Yeah. Love both of them. Both of them equally. Uh, I tend to go in alphabetical order, so I go bass guitar and then standard guitar. Right. Sure. Guitar, yeah. comma bass, and then guitar general. Mm-hmm. I was just here to tell you about <laughs> Patreon.com. Oh. Slash your inner child's an idiot, which is the website for the podcast on which you are listening to me, Keith Wayne Shepherd, on the show. You did that on purpose. <laughs> While you navigate there on your address bar for the Uniform Resource Locator, I'm going to play you a few licks from my new hit, How'd You Get In Here? That's actually legally required in all blues songs to play that specific thing. (laughs) What I love about the blues is it's got legal requirements (laughs) in terms of licks. (laughs) It's a real treat. A lot of people say that, you know, the blues, it's a, an amalgam of things that came from Africa and combined with music and folk music of the Deep South. And I say it's just litigious. And I love that <laughs> about music. I like a it's rule like, and I love a regulation, as Kenny Wayne Shepherd yeah. myself would say. How many bars you got in that? 13? No, thank you. <laughs> Go around, try again, come back. I also like a... a we're out a, We're out of the commercial by now. Oh, uh, thank like, God. So, I couldn't yeah. keep this charade up any longer. Thank you for talking to me, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, notoriously <laughs> blonde guitarist about the songs out of Africa and the Deep South. Thank you. <laughs> hey, we're back. Um, uh, we've been back. We watched. I haven't. I just got came in, recorded my part, and then Kenny Wayne Shepherd was here. Blew up my bathroom. I'm gonna tell you that, which I thought was uncalled <laughs> oh, for. I told him Wayne. he didn't have to come here. He could film this from anywhere, but he insisted on coming to my house and having tacos and then fucking up my toilet. Mm. He's known for that in blue circles. Classic K Dub. Did you play at the House of Blues? Did you play after Kenny Wayne? <laughs> I was. Green, myself, House of Green, because I was so nauseous yeah. from how disgusting mm-hmm. it was in the bathroom in yeah. which he was at. Shamika Copeland played after him once and was like, do not go in there. That was another blues artist reference for you. Thank you. I was going to keep riffing, but I feel like the guys I would name were so deep a cut that it would put you to shame. So I just feel felt like I would just go. Yeah, somewhere. that's, yeah. you know, I thought that was the best <laughs> avenue. Deej, quit riffing for a minute. I am uploading currently. Are you currently uploading? You are? No. Well, actually, it just says 2% uploading, but not doing- I think, I think it just tells you 
that it is, even though it's no longer. That's great. Okay, we can continue riffing now. End the riffing. So we watched The Blues Brothers, Mm -hmm. 1980. I feel like I have thrown you under the recap bus a lot recently. I'll take this one. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't practice it or write anything out, so it's going to be... Have we been Normally, I'm very scripted. No, of course not. <laughs> okay. Does, if anyone has listened to this show, they know that I'm... <laughs> I hope it's not been obvious that I've not been writing it down. <laughs> so, Juliet Jake, Jake Blues, gets out of prison. He's been in prison for three years. His brother, Elwood, picks him up. They promised that Jake, when he got out of prison, would go visit the Penguin, the uh, nun that helped raise them at the orphanage. orphanage. And Say with when they go there, she... She's very upset with their language and says they need to find church. And then they go find church. And then they are, uh, Jake has a revelation. Mm-hmm. He's got he's to help raise money to save the orphanage because it's going to get like taken over by the county assessor. It's something actually pretty municipal. <laughs> <laughs> All politics are local, Deej. So deal with wow. that. All blues it's- and politics are local. Wouldn't you know it, we've got to put on the best talent show this town has ever seen. (laughs) To save the community center slash orphanage. They need to raise $5,000 in, what, like three days or something, and they can't do it by thievery because they're on a mission from God now. And uh, uh, that $5,000 in 1980 was about $225,000 in today's Jesus. Did you look that up? (laughs) Oh, No. (laughs) You I mean, I think me it's a again. lot, but it's not that much. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say it's it's probably what, like double, look it up, would you? You want me to look up, okay. Help me out. Yeah. I'll finish, I'll keep recapping. Please. Okay, so Elwood says, you know the way that we're going to make this money, we got to get the band back together. So they run around, they get the band back together. The band is reluctant, kind of, I guess, at first. And then they get together and they sell tickets to a... 10,000 seat or 5,000 seat amphitheater for $2 a piece. So they make the money. They save the orphanage and they're put in prison where they just keep on bluesing. And that's the Blues Brothers, 1980. And wouldn't you know it, there's zero shoehorned in musical guests in the whole thing. It's just, it's just a couple of comedians and it's a lot of, it's a lot of jokes, a lot of yucks. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. First off, I want to say one thing. DJ, I want to thank you for feeling so comfortable around me to let me get this peek into heterosexual culture. And I appreciate your confidence in me in welcoming me into uh, enjoying the Blue Brothers. Oh, to watch the Blues Brothers? Secondly, $5,000 in 1980 is about $18,500 today. Ooh, wow. That's sizable. Sizable. Yeah. I was going to say $15,000 was my guess. Yeah. I just want to say, you know, heterosexuality is a is a big tent. It's not. It's not. It's a very <laughs> narrow <laughs> definition. I am only interested in this thing. I have a question for you. Just as we begin this movie, we're going to start. Coming I like that you recapped, and then I stayed second. silent, waiting for you to do something else. Yeah. <laughs> just, just didn't participate. Not going to take the reins, just going to wait for you to keep leading me. You were just baffled by the very idea of inflation. (laughs) So, and it is very complicated. Monetary systems, man. Why is Chicago, why was Chicago such a hellscape in 1980? That's what I want to know. Well, it's so fucking cold, man. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. In the opening, like, aerial shots, 
It's just industrial factories. But I also assume that was because he was driving out to get Jake. I'm sure the prison yeah, like is in the thriving downtown area of Chicago. It's in Joliet. That's why it's Joliet, Jake. They're like, a lot of NIMBYs put the uh, refineries on the outskirts <laughs> of town. That actually makes a lot of sense. Our pal Ira Newborn did the scoring for this. You might remember him from... You know, I had a flash of that when they're in the climactic police chase. I feel like there's a very horny, to use a term, chase uh, music that goes on, and it kind of reminded brassy. me of police you say squad. Brassy. Horny, yeah. No, yeah. I know. I know the terms. <laughs> Hold on. I'll just look up really quick. Horny. I had nothing to follow it up with. <laughs> You're like, horny blues musicians. Oh. Oh, it still got me Blues oh. Brothers. That's great. <laughs> You mentioned those, Chicago looks like it's on fire. And Chicago always, I feel like Chicago is always a little bit, in the terms of the big five cities of America, always feels like, you know, the scraggly brother who might be a little bit of a fuck up. (laughs) Second city, they call it, which is rude. I mean, come on. Yeah. It always seems like, oh, in Chicago, we're just going to make fun of them mercilessly for eating a lot of casseroles and having shitty pizza and talking funny. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't make fun of Chicago-style pizza? Yeah. The cake of pizza. What are the other two that are making fun of Chicago? Is it Houston? Is that, is that no, the New big No, New York is making fun the... of Chicago. Is okay, primary, you said big five. So right. I was like, New York and, and LA have their thing. Yeah. Houston, I mean, Houston's making... Have you ever been to Texas? They're insane. Yeah. They're making fun of everyone. Yeah. They think they're better than everyone, despite the fact that they all feel the need to own guns around every other American because they're <laughs> terrified of them. You know what, Houston? Why don't you go build a weird highway and frontage road that I cannot figure out, even though I'm pretty smart. Give him hell, Deej. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did. I don't want to get attacked by Texas, so I, I insult them by making them feel inferior. It's the best way to do it. I've noticed that a lot of Texans don't get really sensitive about that, or heterosexual <laughs> men in general. Don't mind being called, you know, made fun of and felt less than. They don't respond violently when that happens. It's weird that like people that even they like live here that lived in Texas, they're still very sensitive about it. I think I was when I first moved and I was like all of a sudden had this Ohio pride. And then people will, later as I've gotten older, they're like, yeah, there's, I'm like, you know, I don't live there. Right. Like, well, you know, I remember I have the shirt. You do. You are wearing this Ohio shirt pride on. shirt. I remember when I moved to Texas, they would make fun of me because of my New York accent. So I felt very defensive about New York, but I also was like unwillingly named a representative of New York and had to answer for anything that happened in New York. And they would call me, you know, they would talk to me about New York. Although when I got letters from my second grade class, when I moved to Texas, they would write me letters and they just kept asking me about riding horses and driving cattle. And I'm like, what do you think is happening over here? All of my Texas cohorts keep calling me nebbish what does this mean (laughs) they say i have a new york sense of humor what do you think that means i was surprised by how i assume a big budget this fucking movie must have had yes this is insane so we had those aerial shots of the factories the beginning and i just thought oh we're just establishing a vibe but then we got huge amounts of car wrecks of course We had helicopter shots filmed in Chicago, no less. I'm sure that was a pretty penny. And not to mention every celebrity known to man, explosions everywhere. It felt very... They have a chase sequence in downtown Chicago. Yes. Yeah. 
I kept thinking about like me being a Chicago commuter trying to get my three inch high pizza and, you know, wearing a (laughs) parka or whatever, you know, being put off by all the uh, traffic cones blocking me from Blues Brothers filming. (laughs) Sorry, I have nothing to add. I thought there was no joke there. (laughs) I think maybe it'd be easiest to just go through the cameos and guest spots so that we don't also an insane roster, but go ahead. This was not one of the main ones, but uh, <laughs> Jerry Orbach is one of the Wait, what? prison guards. Yeah, baby's father from Dirty Dance. Wait, who is guards. he? He was one of the prison guards. Oh, I didn't catch that. Frank Oz is the guy who's like giving Jake back his personal possessions. And I remember staring and saying, is that Frank Oz? And I looked it up and it was Frank Oz. You can tell when someone is someone (laughs) and not necessarily just an actor because of how bad they act. (laughs) Wait, but he's a puppeteer and acts all the time. Not facially, though. Not like, not like this. Not like, Frank, not like this. (laughs) Kathleen Freeman, actress. Is that the nun? Yes, she's the nun. Yeah, she is recognizable to people around our age for being in literally everything. Yeah. Including Gremlins 2, her best role. (laughs) Cab Calloway. Yeah. Plays Curtis. Who works at the orphanage and raises them to like love blues is the vibe I got. He lived in like the The basement. basement. So it's like, is he just a caretaker of the building or something? That's that's the leap I made. But he dresses exactly like the Blues Brothers. And then we find out later- Exactly. You're absolutely right. And then later when he's uh, wrangling, you know, the Baker Street Irregulars to hand out flyers to the show, he's telling them about that he teaches them about blues as well. That the Blues Brothers learn blues from him just like they learn blues from him. So he's passing on that tradition. It's still going. The Blues Brothers, however, are not passing on that tradition. because they keep getting incarcerated. (laughs) James Brown is uh, Reverend Cleophus James. Yes. Shaka Khan is in that choir as well, I saw. Carrie Fisher is not a musical guest. (laughs) Described as mystery woman. Yes. In the heat of Star Wars, by the way. Both Frank Oz and Carrie Fisher right in the midst of Star Wars at this time. They were busy. (laughs) Didn't Empire Strikes uh, Strikes Back, didn't that come out in the 80s as well? Like later this year? year, Yeah. That's wild. John Candy plays the lead detective or something? Yeah. Kressel, Kressler, something, something Chicago sounding. The band, so musicians who who know about the Stax era and Booker T and the MGs stuff might recognize some of the band members, like Steve Cropper. He wrote "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay" with Otis Redding Jr. He also played for Booker T and the MGs. Donald Duck Dunn, the bass player, <laughs> is that the one with the pipe? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul Rubens was also a big Stax recording artist. <laughs> Aha! I got you. You transitioned to a different uh, what have you. Yeah. I thought that would land better. Sorry. I thought you were going to teach me more about the band people. It's because he passed away recently. That's true. He did. He played Waiter. Yeah. On his way up, though. Yeah. R.I.P. Pee-wee. We also had Henry Gibson, who played the head Nazi in the Nazi marches, Mm -hmm. who I also enjoyed him painting his eagles gold at his desk. That's good. We, of course, had Aretha. Who was the guy who played Matt Aretha's Matt. husband? Matt Guitar Murphy. Absolutely terrible actor. <laughs> the he worst was, yeah. of the Blues Brothers bands. He's just, you can tell he's just happy to be there because he's always yeah. kind of got that Jerry Seinfeld, like he's always stifling a smile. Yeah. And even when like Aretha's like pushing him around while she's singing, he's just sort of like, oh, He's not yeah. like reacting like a person would react. Like she's stage pushing him and he's responding like a person 
who doesn't know they're on camera camera being stage pushed. So he's like, what is this? What's, why did you just touch me like that? <laughs> Aretha's doing her level best. Also not an actress. Also not an actress, but I mean, I also just enjoy, I could watch Aretha, you know, spread cream Do cheese it. on a bagel and I'd be having yeah. the time of my life. It's the best. John Lee Hooker, is a, he doesn't have to act. He's just out on the street acting like John Lee Hooker. Oh, yeah, yeah, boom, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Who was the saxophonist? He also looked like a person that the camera wanted me to see. And I was like, Lou, I don't know who yeah. that is. Lou Marini, he, he was famous for being a sax player. But he he also, like, I think they did a good thing in that scene, in the Aretha scene. He's just like, he's a cook in the background. Yeah. And then he just kind of, like, doesn't say anything. So he's just, like, excited that the Blues Brothers are there. Mm-hmm. You know, he does a sax solo in Think. And then just kind of, like, sheepishly stands there. And she's like, go on. You can follow him. <laughs> and I just like him being the silent guy. But then they give him lines later. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> We had a bit and you just didn't stick with that, did you? Nah, it's hard to keep up with the bits. I think the other, all the band members are famous or somewhat famous in the musician circles. The, the only ones that I was familiar with at the time that this came out was, was Steve Cropper and Donald Duck Duck, just because they like had a very specific look too. But. Are they all like session musicians? Is that what they're known for? Like being famous session yeah. musicians? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were like in the famous. So like Stax and Motown did this too, but like they would they would have a lot a lot of the recordings were done in these big sessions with a lot of the same guys like playing on all the records. Okay, it was yeah. very like factory esque. They would just kind of like pump them out, and so you've got these amazing players that are just lining up on everything, and that still kind of happens in the studio. But this was like a very specific era where that was like big business, and it was like a machine. They would just right. There would be the you know the people writing, and they go record it, and the singers, and then. Move it on out. And then they'll be like, all right, next. All right. All right, Chris, Krusty, we're ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It makes me laugh. Even just Ray Charles. Oh, yeah. What else we got? Ray Charles also being Ray Charles. (laughs) His acting I first saw on The Muppet Show and Sesame Street. Charming as ever. Really, really peaked in the Diet Pepsi commercials. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Twiggy? Oh, yeah. I was sitting there wondering if that was Twiggy. I was like, why is this English woman just randomly here? Wasn't she also on The Muppet Show? I feel like that's where I recognize Twiggy, I think, was... That's how I learned about Twiggy. Yeah. People think I've watched a lot of old media. I have not. I have watched <laughs> almost every episode of The Muppet Show, and that's why I know who these people are. <laughs> like, there's an old guy at work who is always talking to me about old movies. I'm like, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. I think he genuinely thinks I know... I'm like, now, I just know who Danny Kaye is. From the Muppet Show. From the Muppet Show. Because <laughs> it's actually, first of all, Muppet Show's great. <laughs> Secondly, I actually just want to know obscure things so that I could use them in jokes. <laughs> I don't I don't want to sit around watch and watch movies movie. all day. I just want enough information so that people think I'm smart. I mean, make great jokes or whatever. <laughs> and then, of course- Spielberg. I was going to say, yeah, our biggest yeah. get, I feel like, well, not, maybe not the biggest get, but the one that surprised me the most was Steven Spielberg as the property assessor at the end, doing a fine job. He was eating a sandwich. You always look more casual eating a sandwich. The Brad Pitt yeah. School of Acting, mm-hmm. eat something on camera. <laughs> I was surprised. That was the one where I realized, like, people are wanting to be involved in this. Yeah. Because Steven Spielberg, I mean, you can probably count the number of times he's acted in something on your hand. And it just felt like everyone wants to be a part of this. So everyone's just coming together, not just the musicians, but all these other like comedians and actors want to be a part of this because either the Blues Brothers are super cool or SNL has that cachet right now. It's just five years out from SNL debuting. So this is their yeah. this is their first foray into movies. So people are like me, me, me. I want to be there. 
Well, and yeah, so Belushi was huge at this time too. Like it was right after Animal House, and like oh, yeah, that's a good I point. did a lot more reading up because I, di- I didn't realize like how much Blues Brothers was already kind of a thing. Like they had an their album was before this movie. Oh, okay. They had been on. They had like been the musical guest on SNL. I knew that that happened. And this was before the first SNL slump, I think, too. So, like, it was, like, uh, at the first peak of... I mean, I think it was still really, really big from the first, you Yeah, know, I mean, the original cast seasons. is still in there. I think it's not until 82 might be where they kick Lorne Michaels out and they just start bringing in weirdos or established yeah. comedians and it starts falling apart. Yeah, but that was that when Steven pops out, I'm like, what is going on here? I still was not sure, like, what is the Blues Brothers outside of this movie? Just two guys playing music that they liked. I mean, it's charming in a way, but there is still part of me that the mystery of what is this before the why is this already big before this movie comes out still eludes me. It's. Yeah, I'm not sure like what the, I mean, I also find some of it charming. I like the Blues Brothers, so like I can't even put my finger on it exactly, but it like, just like Ghostbusters, it comes from Dan Aykroyd and his passion for, he actually has a passion for Blues Brothers. He's actually playing the harmonica and doing all these things and and, like he apparently brought John Belushi into it. They would like go to a club after SNL and stuff and then John Belushi got kind of obsessed with it too. So they just like, like blues music and it's interesting like this whole thing you could look at it as a bunch of white guys playing blues. It's appropriating, and but also they're shining a light on things that they were very insistent on using the actual artists and not somebody covering a famous song or like not that people were. It wasn't. It was 1980. It's not like it was the 60s. But they were. They were still like, can we have Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles and John Lee Hooker, like all these African American artists? They were insistent on using artists that were actual the actual legends and not just using the songs or something like that, which is pretty cool. That was something I was scared of going in that it would feel like annoying that watching these white guys play, you know, blues music. But there is like a charm, I think, because they seem well aware of its history and are incorporating those people into the movie and also like giving them something to do rather than just being sort of like idolized, they get like funny lines and funny scenes and and it's yeah. it's charming. It's not for me to say. Like you could still yeah, accuse sure. the movie of that and I and I'd say, yeah, I don't I, I can see some points, I guess, but I do think they were genuinely trying to celebrate the music and celebrate the artists and not be like, hey, look at us. I mean, they were also doing that. Because <laughs> right. there was a it lot is of them look at in us. the suits. But I do I do think they did their level best with that. I really loved the nun scene, the scene in the orphanage. The tiny desks. The tiny desks are funny, sure. But I like to like, it's, there's this <laughs> surreal like nature to it. Like the doors are opening and closing on their own. They go yeah. up this rickety staircase with this giant fucking crucifix. Isn't even hanging on the wall. It's just angled over the stairs in this weird, creepy manner. It's Catholic beyond comprehension in that like, you know, it's Jesus crying blood or whatever. And the nun is like... And her name is Sister Mary Stigmata. (laughs) (laughs) And when Kathleen Freeman, when she disappears from the scene, she like rolls out of view. It's honestly terrifying. Very Dracula-esque exit for her. There's a lot of surreal elements in this movie that I find very charming. It continues on throughout the the movie. It's part musical, so there's musical numbers Mm -hmm. just randomly sprinkled throughout. Always a little surreal. And you have, what's his name, Jake, having a vision at James Brown's church. The light. The light. He's glowing. The band. The flipping. 
Yeah, doing fucking cartwheels. And also not to mention that whole church is like on trampolines where all these people are jumping high enough to like touch the choir loft in the back. It's insane. So I did appreciate that because I feel like especially later when we were old enough to appreciate SNL, the SNL movies that were coming out, I felt were like medium shot pointed at this person, medium shot pointed at this person, back and forth and back and forth. That's the scene. Get out of here. We're done. Whereas this felt really energetic. It also feels like that Dan Aykroyd thing of maybe going a bit too far. Every story I hear from Ghostbusters is like the original script was completely batshit insane because like he does with blues, he also really loves fucking ghosts and they had to bring on Harold Ramis to rein him in and create an actual filmable movie. And I feel like that's what John Landis had to do on this movie as well, where it's like, we're going to actually create something that can be filmed and sold to someone. Yeah, the the story was that Dan Aykroyd's original script was they used a telephone book, Yellow Pages cover, because it was so, I mean, who knows? It's probably an exaggeration, (laughs) but like he had this enormous 300 page script or something. And Jonathan Landis was like, absolutely not. Listening his tie, (laughs) like, here we go. (laughs) And made a movie out of it. Even though it's the actual script, I can't imagine of the the final movie. <laughs> yeah, what was can't in that imagine script? it being very long because there's there's like you know eight scenes and then the rest of it is just like musical numbers or car chases. <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's a very vignette-heavy movie. It reminded me, honestly, not to bring them up again, but it reminded me of the Muppet movie a lot in that one, yeah. there's a bunch of celebrities just randomly sprinkled throughout. But also, there is still a through line throughout it all in that they're sort of on the run from the cops and staying sort of one step ahead of everyone. But then there's this vignette element of like trying to get the band together and like, go, we have to go to this place now. Now we have to go yeah. to this place. Now we have to go to this place. If I was more pretentious, which I am, I might refer to Homer's Odyssey, but I'd rather talk about the Muppet movie and how it vibes with that. It reminds me a lot of like, I've been a part of several jukebox musicals, Mm -hmm. which are, you know, the kind of musical where you're, it's, it's just built around the songs and you have like the thinnest veil of. I mean, it is literally that. It is that. And they, and they're just like, guys, to get to this next gig, we'd need a literal stairway to heaven. (laughs) And then Jimmy Page just like slides in a frame and <laughs> you're like, what? It's the barest like reasoning right. to get to whatever song it is. And sometimes they're just like, it's just a song and they just play it. But, you know, when they, they work in Aretha's song, because it's like, you better think about what you're about to do because mm-hmm. he's going to leave, go on tour. Ray Charles is testing out. He's not really, the song isn't really about it, but he's testing out the the keyboard. There's like a reason for at least a good portion of the songs. And it's like, okay. <laughs> right it's like when i watched across the universe and they started just introducing characters and was like this is lucy and this is eleanor i'm like oh my god i get it you're gonna do all the beatles songs let's just get this over with it is akin to the thing that we've talked about disliking in movies which is like well, a cellular telephone that'll never <laughs> win can't even finish it do you think the mall chasing so at some point Elwood is evading the law enforcement officers. And he, For our first time. He jukes the Bluesmobile into a shopping mall. Yes. And at this point, malls were just becoming more prevalent. Do you think that's why that was we spent yeah, 20 I minutes think, on that? If I could say anything, <laughs> I think this is sort of a middle finger to suburban development in the Chicago Prescient. area. 
Prescient. Yeah. It is an insane scene. And at first, like, it kind of turned me off because it was going on for a long time. But I think in retrospect, as the movie progresses, I like it more and more because it's the first of a step of ridiculous yes. car chases. Yeah. Their commentary throughout, they're like, oh, man, this place has everything. Disco pants and haircuts. is <laughs> funny. And a, also, a they're deliberately used... crashing into things. Like, they're just turning their car uh, yeah, into buildings. Yeah. I think it was a friend of my dad. There's some uh, someone who I know, and I can't place who it was that would that would occasionally say disco pants and haircuts. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" I didn't get it until just this watch through. <laughs> Speaking of commentary, oh, here we go. Obviously, I do think they're making fun of action movies by having an over the top action movie. How do you feel like? Do you may think they're making any police statements because the police in this. They're being chased at some point by the cops and the Nazis. No overlap there, I'm sure. <laughs> and then eventually the uh, Soggy Bottom Boys or whatever, the country band that they pretended to be. The good old, the good old boys. boys. So they got uh, more and more people chasing after them until at the end it's the army and stuff. And my favorite funny thing is like one the famous car wreck of the biggest car chase through downtown Chicago. It's just, I don't remember how many cars. the one under the L bridge? Under the, like, yes. yeah, and they're just like they're piling just like, up? 300 cars or something. I'm sure at the at the time they set like a record and then it was broken later. But By Fast X or something. But what I never noticed before is coming out of that, a cop just like climbs on top of the cars and just starts shooting in the direction. <laughs> there is sort of an, yes, I will say yes. There felt like there was an anti-cop sentiment in this that I thoroughly enjoyed because it portrayed the cops as either ignorant or violent or ignorant and violent, which I enjoyed. Yeah, we, we see our... The first troopers they piss off that initially starts that chase through the mall, eventually they speed past them later on when they're being chased by the good old boys because they ran out on their bill from the country and western bar they performed in. And those same cops accidentally, not realizing they're being chased, they're going to go chase after them and they collide with the good old boys who are right behind them. And naturally, then they get angry at the good old boys who, even if you, I mean, there's no way they could have known what was going on. So they're just getting angry at people for being on the road when they wanted to just jump out from behind a billboard and start speeding down the highway. So they draw their guns on the good old boys who are, from just their purview, boys. doing nothing Never mean wrong. no harm. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I did take a specific enjoyment from watching all the cop cars The good boy's been in trouble with the law since the day they were born. I mean... Yeah. I mean, if I knew more of that song, I would participate in this with you. I want to talk about the good boys for a second. So the bit is, if you haven't seen the movie or you don't remember, the Blues Brothers, Jake is like, hey, we've got a gig. They don't have a gig. So they just see the good boys performing tonight at this next club they come up in the, in the middle of nowhere illinois and they it's a country bar so they have to pretend to be a country band so they end up playing the rawhide theme yeah which is funny and then as they're leaving they're like they go to collect their money and oh the band the pay was two hundred dollars but they spent three hundred dollars <laughs> worth of money on alcohol and so they owe the bar a hundred dollars and then they leave but then right after they leave this the good old boys the actual band shows up after the bar closes I was very confused, so, like, was it just a coincidence that the good old boys were also late, or... The Blues Brothers saved your ass <laughs> by pretending to be the good old boys. I guess you could have just put on music on the jukebox and said, hey, the band's not coming, I guess. But it seems like they were there to see a band, and they got to see a very good band. They got the crowd eventually. They played uh, Stand By Your Man. Mm -hmm. It was great. That is one of my favorite bits of this, of like pretending to be a country band and playing the wrong song more than once, and then... <laughs> 
playing. What else did they play? I think that was uh, the two we great. saw was okay. Rawhide yeah. and Stand By Your Man. I also enjoyed in the country bar that when they start playing, I think they start by playing Soul Man or maybe something else. Give me some love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The entire bar starts throwing beer bottles at them. Luckily, there's a chicken cage around them. There's chicken wire around yeah. them. And so the glass isn't coming in badly, I guess. It's still coming in. And then they start playing Rawhide, which gets the crowd on their side. So the crowd keeps throwing <laughs> beer bottles at them. Celebratorily. So, yeah, it's yes. not as violent. It's just appreciative. I like that. And it's terrifying. It is oddly terrifying to me. I'm like, these are still, I mean, maybe it was sugar glass bottles, but it's still haunting yeah. to me, all that glass being thrown in. Yeah. I've also been in, I've never been at a bar where there's chicken wire, but I have been where there's very intense bros and a lot of beer and people like pushed all the way up against stage i do not like it interesting it's a little bit as a human being you don't like it speaking of we touched on a little bit of surrealism but i just want to highlight that when this is just part of being kind of like in a musical but during aretha song Mm -hmm. which i love by the way i love this i love the song think and i love this version of think because it's it's great it's better than the original i think because she this one, there's more more key changes, I think, and like it's more energetic and stuff. I remember listening to this one like on the Blues Brothers soundtrack yeah. growing up. But so they're there, they come to get Matt Guitar Murphy, and I guess they don't care about Blue Lou Marini. But anyway, <laughs> they need Matt. They need a second guitarist in their rhythm and blues band, whatever. So she's like singing her song, and they're they're kind of like mm, this lady's <laughs> trying to keep uh, Matt from going out. Blah blah blah. They're just kind of participating, but then eventually they're just doing the dance. Yeah. I really like that. They're like begrudgingly participating. <laughs> I don't know why that's so charming to me. It's great because at first there's three women at the counter, three, like one's a postal worker and two are just maybe a mom and daughter, but they they are all her background singers and they're in it. Yeah. And then what's his name? Marini starts playing saxophone yeah. on the counter. The Blues Brothers start dancing and then the patrons also start participating. It's very charming. It's very good. It's great. I love it. I have no notes. Good job, Aretha Franklin. No yeah. You've done it again. In the spirit of us being like, what is the joke? Their dancing is pretty funny. Dan Aykroyd's acrobatic running in place dancing. <laughs> and then they did, me and Janelle used to do this when we were in college. My friend Janelle, we used to do, we called it the 1890s dance. That's pretty much what the Blues Brothers do at the big show at the end. They sort of like just grab each other and just sort of yeah. dive back and forth like while sort of doing... I remember it being in the Alastair Sim version of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> That's why I call it the 1890s dance. But it is what they're doing. It's very yeah. weird to me. And I think it's part of that charm of like, I don't know what the joke is, but you guys seem to be enjoying yourselves. And it's slowly winning me over against my better interests. <laughs> yeah. I think it goes to show you, though, that if you have charming enough sort of persona turning enough like people involved the bit doesn't really have to be that developed like this the movie kind of kind of develops their characters more than obviously more than just like singing a performance of soul man a, on the snl a, stage yeah in a fedora or whatever <laughs> um trilby sorry it's a trilby. please yes. please my father was a fedora I did want to say this about the... There, well, first off, before we get too far from the Good Old Boys, there was a visual gag that I really liked about the Good Old Boys in that the Good Old Boys partner then with the country and Western bar manager who's angry mm-hmm. that they run off without paying their bill, their bar tab. And the Good Old Boys hop into his like little Winnebago, or maybe it's their Winnebago that they drove in in. And it's got a little window at the top. So it's like, you know, a truck cab. And then there's this attachment. Sleeper, and there's like a little, cab on top. Yeah. a little window. And... So the bar owner and the head, the band leader of the good old boys are in the cab 
And then you see the heads of the three other good old boys just sort of lying down, peeking out. It's beyond cute. I laughed really hard just from the, the three-second shot of them peeking their little heads up. I don't think John Belushi gets that much to do in this movie, actually, surprisingly, despite being one of the lead characters. But one of the things that I think one of his strengths is sort of being kind of sarcastic and chaotic and stuff like he's been in the other movies. High energy, you know, won't stop talking for some reason. I don't know why John Belushi had so much energy all the time, but yeah. That's not his character, so he doesn't do that. But at some point, we get a little bit of that when he's pretending to be the AFM music union rep to the good old boys to get them to (laughs) basically... But she's trying to get him to pay him or something like that. Yeah, yeah pay get him, him off. Get so, him unionized. He shows his and he pack goes like of this, cigarettes as yeah, his badge. Yeah, he uses his pack of cigarettes as as this badge uh, AFM. And then I just really like that fit. So good. I did enjoy not. So not only do we get anti cop stuff, we also get anti Nazi stuff, which yeah. is charming beyond the belief. As I mentioned, yes. we Henry Gibson, who our generation would probably know from the Burbs, but he's also in Laughing. He plays the head Nazi. They get driven at, they get, you know, thro- thrown into the river. So they are another group of people that are angry at the Blues Brothers. Dropped from <laughs> They get the dropped altitude. from a, a wi- highway under construction at the end. Their car chase is to Wagner the entire time, which also made me laugh. Pretty great. Love a needle drop, especially when it's a Wagner needle drop. <laughs> That's your favorite needle drop in this movie. Classical music. Don't play Take On Me, Mario Brothers movie, just to work in some <laughs> Wagner. And they, yeah, they're dropped out of another shot where I'm like, is that a, that's not a toy car. Is that a car? That's real. That was real. Yeah. I forgot to look up the IMDb dubiously sourced information about this movie after the fact. I also like that somehow the Blues Brothers were able to flip their car over, over the Nazis to trick them into driving off the end of the highway. That's pretty great. But it's funny to kill Nazis. I know for a minute we were like, is this, is it okay to have Nazis be, you know, comic book villains? I'm like, yeah, otherwise they just sort of come back all of a sudden. If you just sort of make fun of them, maybe they might go away again. Or at least be ashamed of what they are. Realize they're a laughingstock. Also, that last performance, I mean, you already sort of referenced uh, the Soggy Bottom Boys, but the last performance reminds me a lot of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where Mm, everyone in the audience is like someone they have interacted with in some way. Sort of like, and and in that same way, like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? All these disparate storylines sort of get to tie together. In Oh Brother, it's to their benefit. In this, it's not necessarily. They all get incarcerated yet again. But it reminded me of that. It also reminded me of the Tiny Two direct-to-video movie, How I Spent My Summer Vacation, which also ends on a riverboat filled with all the people that Buster and Babs have annoyed on their trip. So those, I imagine, are the inspirations they had was a movie that came out almost 17 years later and a direct-to-video animated show that came out about 10 years later. So good job, Blues Brothers. Great inspirations. Speaking of things I missed, the I guess Joe Walsh from the Eagles is one of the prisoners at the end he's the one he that like, gets up jail. on the table wow because <laughs> of that mustache am i right are you ready for like a quote roundup or do you i don't have a things? lot of quotes myself okay. so just throw them at me and we'll get through this together the classic one. Oh, we got both kinds of music country and western <laughs> that's a good one i wrote down they broke my watch but now i don't remember the context for that so the cop says it in the first wreck and then apparently it gets said again two other times by two other cops but i, I didn't hear either of those <laughs> I, I that's from the trivia so i don't know if it's true but like but yeah they broke my watch it's like what <laughs> Uh, this is not particularly funny, but they go into the phone booth and Dan Aykroyd says, who are you going to call, Jake? That is uh, prescient wow. again. 
Wow. He's like, I think this might be a good catchphrase for a song that I can then incorporate into the soundtrack of a different movie. It wouldn't work today. would be like, no one. Huh? We don't do phone calls. Gen Z, they don't do phone calls. Oh, I see what wow. you're saying. I get you. Yeah. Didn't land that one, did no. I? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of interactions with younger people, Damon. No, I don't care for them. <laughs> I, in my defense, I didn't care for them when I was also a young person. So yeah, don't feel bad, Gen Z, that you're missing out. Who wants an orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? I did text that to you because it was funny in context. And then Tyler right. looked up the recipe for an orange whip. It sounds disgusting. Our pal Taylor quotes that. Orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip. It's good. I do like that the cops are going to sit down and enjoy the show and have some drinks while they enjoy it. I do, I do like that because it, it, it's John Candy's idea because they're all about to arrest him. And he's like, I haven't heard these guys play. <laughs> okay. This isn't a quote, but Twiggy does wait for Elwood. Yes. She's waiting for him at midnight, like he said. Just, it's a real shame. It's a real shame. Could have had your chance with Twiggy. With the first supermodel. Your mistake, Elwood. Mm. Your mistake. There is a quote from like the dispatcher. He says, when they're, everybody is chasing after the Blues Brothers, and he says, use of unnecessary violence in the capture of the Blues Brothers has been approved. <laughs> it's a pretty good bet. It's very funny. It's also funny that all these car chases are because of unpaid parking tickets. All of this is because of unpaid parking tickets. Yeah. It's deranged. But there's like 56 or something like that. True, <laughs> but I is. still don't know if you need yeah. to kill them. Yeah, well... Nazis are generally not known for that. But their... these were the cops, Deej. How could you have mistaken one you for the other? You heard what I said. <laughs> Speaking of Nazis, when, when they're falling to their death, the one looks over and says, I've always loved you. <laughs> I like that. Also, it reminded me of a Simpsons joke that would have been coming in about eight years from this. So that's fun, too. No, 12 years from this. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. I just know some pedantic nerd will get on my case. I can't live like that, DJ. I just can't live like that. The other, this is not a quote either, but at the end when all everyone is coming after them and all the army is there, they just machine gun the door. Like so the, the Blues <laughs> Brothers have like placed a bunch of stuff in front of the office door so that people can't get in. They're just <laughs> like to get it open. I also appreciate that during that scene, the military and police and whoever, they did press the elevator door to see if it would just open for them. And then they decided to take the stairs, but they... Yeah. They tried for a second. And the hop, 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 hop. <laughs> pretty good. That's all I got. I have one note here. I just wanted to mention that 70s kids are the cutest kids. Those are the okay. cutest kids we ever produced because they always have helmet hair. Say more. Freckles. Okay. When we saw them like handing out flyers to people for the Blues Brothers Ultimate Show, they're just cute kids. I remember this from watching reruns of Sesame Street. And I know it in my heart to be true. 70s kids were the cutest kids. We've been on a downturn ever since. And I can yeah. say that because I was born in 1981. <laughs> it's all been we shit were, since 1979. We were the beginning of the end. Really. <laughs> Do you want to go to the verdict? Yeah. All right, let's go. After this. Oh, I thought you were doing we the Ghostbusters go the theme just again, uh, just to further confuse everything. Damon, you go. Hi, I am going to say your inner child, your inner 70s child, is not an idiot. You almost had all heterosexuals I know. coming after you. Not for the first time. Wait, what? 
that's never happened outside of my dreams. <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to feel about this movie. And for the first third, I was like, this is some heterosexual nonsense to quote Titus Andromedon. And then something happened. And I know exactly what it was. After Carrie Fisher tries to bazooka Jake's head off, she returns the following morning. Preceding her is John Candy and several cops to bust into Elwood's house at the home for transient men. The home for transient men. Right as John Candy kicks the door in, Carrie Fisher's character blows up the front of the hotel. And we get a shot of Elwood and Jake, who are still in bed. Their floor collapses. And it's almost like when you have a taco and the taco shell is losing its structural integrity, the filling just sort of slides out. That's mm-hmm. what happens to Jake and Illwood. They just sort of slide down from where the floor used to be. They end up on top of a pile of bricks and Elwood says, it's nine o'clock. We got to get to work. And then they leave to go do something. And then all the cops come out of the rubble. Then I was kind of into this movie. And then especially by the end when there's hundreds of Illinois state troopers and Chicago Metro cops chasing after them, it was so ludicrous what was happening that I was sold. So that's what won me over. It's a movie that amps up. There aren't a lot, for me, there are not a lot of jokes that made me laugh, but the situations were enough to make me laugh as it amped up. Yeah, so... They're putting the musicians in a position where they have to act. (laughs) It was not great results. I still, yeah, if you ask me, like, what is the joke? I still don't really know. (laughs) There's not a lot of, there's not that many jokes. It's not even all that funny. There are funny bits, just, but it's more from the situation than a couple of lines. And yet, your inner child is not an idiot. Mm -hmm. I agree. What gets me, I think, is is the music. Like, I just love the music so much that it's like, it's like a charm offensive, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, that's great. And every time they do, I like every piece of music in this. Right. Even, you know, when they do Stand By Your Man, I love that song. It's a great song. It's a great song. <laughs> Would you pay $2 to see a show at the Palace that's just consists of two songs that they sing? And Cab Calloway. <laughs> and then the beginning. Yeah. Opening song. Cal- so three opening. total songs. But the last one is a jam that they jam for about 15 <laughs> minutes while they're escaping. So... That's a good band. I'd watch them jam. Yeah. $2 and $1980 is $1 million. So no, I That's wouldn't true. have That's too much. That. Yeah. At negative two years old, I couldn't have afforded that. <laughs> My portfolio was not nearly as mature as it is now. You were one of those E-Trade babies. I forgot about that. <sighs> you just watched me buy stocks. First of all, don't worry about it. You don't know how old I am. I love quoting the E-Trade babies. <laughs> what a weird 19, thing. You like quoting Orange Super Whip or whatever and E-Trade babies. <laughs> That's your that's your wheelhouse of comedy is the E-Trade I, Babies. <laughs> What's funny is, so I started with this movie, my relationship started by seeing a poster and being like, I don't understand. I know that's Dan Aykroyd. I don't understand right. any of the rest of this. And then trying to get into it and being like, this is different than I thought. I thought it was going to be cooler, but it's kind of nerdy. Yeah. But also, I'm kind of nerdy. So... And I love music, and I love this music, and I love, you know, by this point I had started to play guitar, so I'm like, I love blues, and I'm like into this, so I'm like, I am Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> oh, but no. Not even as much talent. <laughs> oh, no, you're going to release your own vodka now in a weird-shaped <laughs> bottle that doesn't fit in my wet bar. Come on. What? <laughs> it's a skull-shaped bottle. Like, it's oh, shaped okay. like a human skull. Literally, Ooh. not like, oh, there's like a skull motif at the top of the bottle and then it forms a normal bottle shape. No, the whole thing looks like a goddamn skull. 
Did you get one as a gift or something? Or? No, I've just, he ruined an episode of one of my, did I talk about this on the? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I think he, you did. He was yeah. there talking about his goddamn vodka mostly. And ever since then, I uh, have thought about his vodka when I'm in liquor stores because it's very expensive as well because, of course, it's fucking celebrity vodka. So there you have it. Dan Aykroyd's Crystal Skull Vodka or whatever the hell it's called. What do you think, everybody? Yeah. Your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. Send us your favorite Blues Brothers quotes, and they and they cannot be from Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> I did watch Aretha's reprisal of her role in Blues Brothers 2000 because that was the clip listed as trailer in Amazon Prime. Mm. But they, she had to do respect in the. She did in the sequel. She does do respect. Yeah, bummer. I mean, I like respect, but you know. But hearing her protest, not wanting to do respect in the first one. And then she came crawling back. You can text us or leave us a voicemail, 615-576-0525. And I'm going to pull up a thing real quick. I got it here. I don't. And make sure you do it in your best Chicago accent, Deej. Ooh, that's going to be a tall order. We want to thank our patrons for supporting us, including Just Cuz. Oh, Lindsay Halleck. Scalphosaurus. Zachary Hartley. The supreme ruler of this podcast, David Mort. Are you trying to do your Chicago accent? Oh, right. I haven't. Goes? We haven't done a single Chicago accent. I don't know how to do it. You just got to sort Nell. of think of the Bears. Lindsay, Lindsay Nell, the elusive Fan Gromkin, Heather Tuggle, Josh Frigo. Di- <laughs> you got to do Demons. it as a Chicago and doing my Australian accent. Go for it. Damon's Australian accent. <laughs> it somehow Oof. became Irish. <laughs> Dr. Uh, Malcolm's uh, heaving bosom. Oh, shit on the cartouche. Well, it's got, it went Fargo. <laughs> Tommy Boy is my favorite movie. Jonathan Day. Hand, the Hands of Fate. The McWillie House of Cats. Which is right next to the House of Blues, actually. Particle <laughs> Man. Caroline Amberson. Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with Damon. The Zesty. Jeremy Pallon. His Honor, the Mayor Daly. Oh, and now see that? No, Mr. Daly's been dead for some time. <laughs> yeah, Kieran Curd. Travis Vance. Larissa Maestro. James Taylor. Beth Sermont. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Dramatically placed hot dog. T. Smith. Thank you all very Thank much. You. If you want to support like them, patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. Dee, do you want to just take us out with that great Cab Calloway joke you were telling me earlier? Oh, about how he would keep secret sex workers. Mm-hmm. And the program was called, what, what was it again? Heidi. Mm-hmm. Heidi. Mm-hmm. Heidi. Mm-hmm. Ho? Yeah. Well done, Deej. Proud of yourself. Oh, come on. Baby, don't you want to go? To Hellscape Chicago. The people in Chicago love that because the rule of performing, mention Say the, name. the town you're in. People love that shit. Or Did the nearest it? town because oh, no. they technically aren't. They're 106 miles from Chicago, as we are famously told. That's true. I think that's why Huey Lewis tried to get every single city. <laughs> hard I've got a great idea for a song. It's 16 minutes long. <laughs> Any city over 250,000 will be listed in this song. Mm-hmm.